essentially the same story with only a few words changed. I picked through them and found a selection of news I hope will be sufficient. Between the articles, rainbow songs come, as always, from Tenali's Rainbow Field Recording Archive, which you can listen to in its entirety at soundsfromtherainbow.org. After Rainbow Spain, we will be listening to a selection of entries from the Seed Camp Diaries of John Tarleton at the 1999 Pennsylvania Rainbow Gathering. Hopefully, we will continue to read this journal to completion over the next episode or two. Finally, we will be listening to the second hour of the four-hour-long public radio piece from the year 2000 about the Montana Rainbow Gathering. Happy listening, and here we go! These are the rules of the rainbow family to which an illegal commune of La Rioja belongs. By M.J. Arias on Yahoo Noticias, Friday, June 4th. A large group of people, they estimate between 150 and 200, have been camped for days in one of the natural landscapes that La Rioja enjoys. There, in the middle of nature and more than 70 kilometers away from Lograño, they have already received dozens of administrative sanction proposals for breaking environmental and health regulations in times of pandemic. Those who are there, of very diverse origins, fall within the so-called Arcoiris family, which some call a hippie movement with very clear basic rules. When asked what they are doing in the Sierra de la Demanda Rioja, in an area of difficult access with slopes of up to 70% to get there and having left their car about 4 kilometers away to camp, the answer is that by celebrating a ritual of communion with nature. It started with the lunar cycle and is scheduled to end next week when it is complete. Their presence in the area has aroused curiosity, discomfort in some cases, and all kinds of headlines due to the fact that some, or many, the data are unknown, are naked, and there are minors among those present. 
To find the origin of this movement of the Rainbow Family, we have to go back to the early 1970s in the United States. Some sources suggest that the seed was planted by two young men named Barry Plunker and Garrick Beck after attending a music festival in Portland. They wanted to unite communes, hippies, and nomads in a kind of apolitical organization of, quote, like-minded people on the planet. The point is that the great events of the Rainbow Family is its meetings, such as the one currently being held in La Rioja. They are annual, have a duration of about four weeks, and every year they change location. This is decided at the end of each meeting. They meet and vote where the next year will be held. The first took place in 1972 in Colorado. Thousands of people gathered there to pray for world peace. It was a success in their eyes, and they repeated a year later in Wyoming. The tradition had been inaugurated. There are not many norms in this family. Everyone is welcome. There are no leaders, no commercialism. Weapons are not allowed either, as you can read in some articles about their history and their encounters. Although drugs have been linked to the movement, and someone who was in one of those rainbow gatherings told Vice they received him with a joint, not all of them would be allowed, specifically alcohol and synthetics. There is no obligation to to contribute money to the community, but a hat is passed in which each one deposits what they can to buy supplies and food for everyone. As for the requirements of the space where these annual meetings are held, in summer always, it must be a spacious space, outdoors, surrounded by nature, away from urban centers, and with a nearby water source. In addition, and although there are only a few dozen people in La Rioja, it must be chosen bearing in mind that thousands can come together. These annual meetings do not have a program. They are simply there, live together, and organize workshops. But above all, they say, the freedom of the individual prevails. Some practice nudism. All right, I got a couple of short numbers and then uh, a little longer one here. We're going to start with a little tune here. This is my best showpiece here. It's called Malagueña. Thank <laughs> you. 
Patrauno. June 1st, 2021. Hundreds of hippies invade the mountains in the Riojan Mountains. They live in full harmony with nature, with love towards others and toward the environment as the only norm and without hierarchies. They are the Rainbow Family, and for a couple of weeks, they have settled in La Rioja to celebrate a rite of communion with nature that will end next week at the end of the lunar cycle that brings them together in the Sierra de la Demanda. More than a hundred tents and teepees are distributed in a remote enclave of the Portilla Valley, about five kilometers southwest of Viniegro de Abajo, and about three kilometers from the border with Castilla y León. To get there, more than 50 vehicles remain parked at the end of a forest track south of the Mancia Reservoir, and its occupants walk over two kilometers of slopes and ravines. In the makeshift village, there are no norms, neither social nor hygiene. Naked, practicing free sex, and without a mask in the middle of the pandemic, the members of the commune, there are several miners among them, cook the food they have brought in their vehicles over a bonfire. In another larger bonfire, the Sacred Fire, members of the Rainbow Family do yoga, sing, and dance. It should be remembered that La Rioja is at a low risk of fires until July 1st, but it is forbidden to light fires in forest lands such as the ones where the commune is located, which has caused the concern of the forest agents who take care of the environment. There are also doubts about the legality of staying overnight in the place, although it is not possible to vacate the town without first having the owners of the land or the Ministry of Sustainability of the government of La Rioja urge the state security forces and bodies to the hippies as the neighbors of the Seven Villas know them leave the place. We do not know where they came from, several residents of the area explained to Nueve Cuatro Uno, who assure that among the members of the Rainbow family gathered in La Rioja, there are Portuguese, Germans, Dutch, and from other countries. Among his fears, he highlights the possibility of a fire in the valley, one of the wildest and most virgin areas of the community. Furthermore, he regrets that the presence of so many people disturbs the fauna of the area. Other Campsites in the Commune the Rainbow Family originated in the United States in the early 1970s. Every year it organizes meetings around the world as an experience of community living in which anyone is welcome, as long as it is governed by the values of world peace and nonviolence. Other requirements are to dispense with electronic devices and chemicals. Five years ago, the Sierra de Guara, Aragon, already experienced a situation like the one that currently occurs in La Rioja. The camping then began with a few dozen participants, but in a few days it gathered hundreds of people until they were evicted. <laughs> Yeah. 
La Sexta, Thursday, June 3rd, 2021. The Civil Guard studies whether to evict a concentration of hundreds of people naked and having sex in La Rioja. The agents have called social services because there are children in that settlement. It is believed that they move based on the lunar phases. The Civil Guard of La Roja studies whether to evict an illegal concentration of hundreds of people in a rural area of the community. The Rainbow Family, as they call themselves, is made up of between 150 and 200 people from various European countries and would move according to the lunar phases. Right now, they are camped in the Sierra de la Demanda, an area very close to Burgos. The members of this group have left their cars parked on a road located several kilometers from the camping site, which is about 73 kilometers from Logroño, and which is accessible by the mountain after crossing several slopes of 70-plus percent. There they live in the middle of nature with tents. They are completely naked and have sex at all hours. They also do not respect any rule, as confirmed by agents of the Civil Guard who have appeared at the scene up to two times to notify them of various fines for various infractions, among them for making a fire in a place where it is not allowed, but also for not respecting nature by occupying forbidden spaces and much less anti-COVID measures. The Civil Guard has registered them, and at the moment they have not found drugs, only Viagra's. However, in this place, there are also children involved, so they have notified the social services. The Riohan government has ensured they have evidence of this settlement and are studying the measures to be adopted in co-governance with the affected municipalities, including the eviction. The good news is that agents believe that members of this community, born in the United States and spread throughout the world, will be leaving in a few days, specifically between June 14th and 15th, because that is when the lunar cycle ends. This is a song that, from Africa that means we are not limited, we are unlimited. Ma 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 
kilele, papa papa kilele, rainbow rainbow kilele, rainbow rainbow kilele, rainbow rainbow kilele, rainbow rainbow kilele, kilele kilele, kilele kilele, abo abo kilele, abo abo kilele, kilele kilele, kilele kilele, abo abo kilele. studying the eviction of hundreds of hippies camped in the mountains accumulating a hundred sanctions. The Civil Guard of La Rioja has processed almost a hundred administrative proposals to sanction a group of hippies of the Arcoiris family who have been camped in the mountains of the Mancia area for 15 days for making fire, occupying spaces not allowed, and failure to comply with anti-COVID measures. It is the Rainbow family, and for a couple of weeks they have been in La Rioja to celebrate a rite of communion with nature that will end next week when the lunar cycle that brings them together in the Sierra de la Demanda ends. The Rainbow Movement was born in the U.S. in the early 1970s, a time when important collective consciousness began to develop. Rainbow gatherings are held all over the world, and as soon as one draws to a close, a council is held at which the venue for the following year's celebrations is decided. There are always volunteers who are willing to scout the area in search of a good location and begin to establish the base. The meetings last month and their start coincides with the new moon. The number of attendees ranges from 50 when held in inaccessible areas to 5,000 in Europe or 30,000 in the USA. As sources of the investigation have informed F.A. this Wednesday, this group of people who come from various European countries practice nudism and live with several minors. The participants have left their cars parked on a road located about 3 or 4 kilometers from the camping site, about 73 kilometers from the Lograño, which is access accessed by the mountain after crossing 70% slopes. On this issue, the spokesman for the government of La Rioja, Sara Alba, has indicated there is evidence of this settlement and that, quote, the measures to be adopted are being studied in co-governance with the affected municipalities, including the eviction. The participants have left their cars parked on a road located about three or four kilometers from the camping site, about 73 kilometers from Lograño, and which is accessed by the mountain after crossing several slopes of 70%. In the makeshift town, there are no norms, neither social nor hygiene, in the middle of the COVID pandemic. It is forbidden to light fires in forest lands such as the ones where the commune is located, which has caused the concern of the forest agents who take care of the environment.
Friday, June 4th. Rainbow meeting in La Rioja. We received the civil guards and forest agents in a circle, singing and dancing. This secluded corner, bathed by the Portilla River, a few kilometers from the Moncia Reservoir, has never been so busy. The last tracks are far from the place, but it is, despite the difficulty of access, a constant trickle of people who come and go in search of a few days of peace and direct contact with nature. It is the Rainbow Gathering, the annual event that the Rainbow family has organized in different parts of Spain, Europe, and the world. It lasts a lunar cycle, and the days pass between workshops in Reiki, Yoga, Botany, Chakra Healing, or Tantra. Around a perpetual fire that will be lit while they are there, many tents dot the landscape, and those that have been around the longest estimate that there are about 150 people. They meet twice a day in a circle around the fire to sing and dance. Also, in those moments, they all eat together, always vegan food, and they assure that there is no alcohol or chemical drugs there. They approve everything by consensus and make their purchase thanks to the magic hat. They pass the hat and each one make what they think, who doesn't have a little kiss, and with that, some go to Logroño or Nahera. There are people of all ages, also young boys and girls from all around the world, Chile, Israel, France, Germany, and many parts of Spain, and even Rioja, and you can see them juggling, or cariocas, playing the guitar, or walking through the place. They ensure that everyone is welcome, although there are those who prefer to distance themselves from those who come to ask. The Council of Visions is now deciding where the next rainbow gathering and rainbow healing will be. The latter is aimed at cleaning, and nothing stimulating is allowed to be done always in remote places and having natural water. Although they admit that they did not obtain the necessary permits for this place, they defend that they always leave the area as we found it, or even better, because we clean it of dry wood that favors the risk of fires. Until at least seven years have passed, they will not return to the same place. The forestry agents and the civil guard have already been in the camp and asked for documentation, but they are still there, we receive them in a circle, singing, and we continue here. And they hope to be able to stay until the next new moon, scheduled for next week. In the area, there are opinions of all kinds. They don't hurt anyone, says a neighbor along the way, although they point out that it gives them respect to get too close. Even from the village bar, they have accompanied some to the place. Next year, the Rainbow family will be 50 years old since the first meeting that took place in the United States. They are meetings without official leaders, without hierarchy or special spokespersons. The magic stick changes from hand to hand to give voice to whoever wants to speak. This counterculture defends the values of love, peace, nonviolence, environmentalism, and non-consumerism. 
Although they are studying the appropriate measures to adopt and have exercised their sanctioning function if necessary, the government of La Rioja explains that the eviction requires the prior complaint of the owners of the land on which the settlement is located, which has not yet occurred and requires a judicial endorsement. Meanwhile, a hundred hippies hope to complete the lunar cycle in Alta Najaria in Rioja. Caso, Friday, June 4th. Drugs banned in the hippie village. Police only find Viagra. The hippie town that the Arcoiris family in La Rioja has organized and that has been running for 15 days out of all control continues to grow. Cars arrive from all over Europe as the civil guard has learned from the analysis of the license plates of vehicles arriving in the villages near the naturist meeting. The congregants arrive by private car or bus from Logroño, and after parking on forest tracks, they make the last kilometers on foot. The civil guard believes there are about 200 people, including adults and minors. While waiting to be clear on how to evict the party, there is outdoor sex, people are naked, and there are minors running through the tents. The police are checking the nearby villages. Although agents have been installed in all the villages on the perimeter, access has not been closed. Officers identify and search the cars. According to police sources, officers did not find drugs in these searches. Yes, they have explained that several of the people who have been checked near the area and who have explained that they were going to the village were carrying Viagra pills. This blue medicine, Sildenafil, is a drug used to treat erectile dysfunction and pulmonary arterial hypertension. Surely the Arcoiris family does not con consider this drug a drug, even if it is chemical and marked by one of, the, one of its enemies, pharmaceuticals. That the police don't find drugs is normal, too. Among the rules they have published about the hippie town of La Rioja, the organizers say it is a face-to-face -face meeting. They want to fly high with nature as free souls without alcohol, technology, or drugs. More rules. No doing business. 
If someone does not comply with the rules and decides to bring drugs or alcohol to the meeting of the Rainbow family, they will not be able to sell them. These rules also ensure that you need to share and, quote, not do business. The following recording is about the 1999 Pennsylvania Rainbow Gathering. 
It is entries from the Seed Camp Journal of John Tarleton. John Tarleton formerly wrote as a news and sports reporter at several daily newspapers. A hitchhiker, juggler, teacher, organizer, migrant farm worker, and human rights activist, he has traveled and written extensively as an independent web journalist. He's a graduate of the University of Missouri School of Journalism and is currently an editor of The Independent, a progressive newspaper in New York City. Seed Camp Journal, notes from the 1999 Pennsylvania Rainbow Gathering. This narrative originally took form as a series of dispatches I sent off to the alt.gathering.rainbow newsgroup in the weeks leading up to the 1999 Pennsylvania Rainbow Gathering. I was on the land from May 30th until July 15th. It was my ninth gathering, and I was fully engaged as both an observer and a participant. These stories represent the gathering as I saw it unfolding in front of me, an unusual and fascinating experience to say the least. I don't own a laptop and instead relied on the library in Ridgeway before I was booted off its two otherwise unoccupied computers and then St. Mary's down 10 miles down the road. My heartfelt thanks to the librarians who made it possible for me to continue reporting. May 30th, 1999, Seed Camp Journal Entry Number 1, Welcome Home, Allegheny National Forest. We're on the land in Pennsylvania. I traveled up here on Sunday afternoon with Ellen and Thomas from Peace Park. When we arrived at Yellowhammer Trails, site of the Spring Council, we found only a handful of people from Jesus Camp. Spring Council had consensed earlier in the day on a site just outside Ridgeway, Pennsylvania, in the southeast corner of the Allegheny National Forest. Crouching over a map in the fading sunlight, Thomas and I wrote down the new directions and set off to track down our friends. It was well after dark when we found the Bear Creek Recreation Area outside of Ridgeway. Little Hawk was the first parking attendant to stop and greet us on the gravel road going into the gathering. He wore a brown, wide-brimmed hat and a bushy backwoodsman's beard. His eyes were confused and searching. Seed camp? What seed camp? He replied in a raspy, slurred voice when we asked him for directions. Then he took his flashlight and invited us to look at the scars from the third-degree burn that put him in a coma for two months last year after he mistakenly tried to put out a fire at the Arizona gathering with a two-and-a-half-gallon jug of gasoline. "'Yeah, I'm still alive,' he concluded. Thomas hopped out of the passenger seat of the van and gave this brooding, melancholy man a big hug. We then continued on into the gathering. Lots of hugs. It wasn't long before we spotted campfires and were greeted with hugs. For the first time in almost 11 months, I heard a chorus in the distance sing out, We love you! There were roughly 20 vehicles and 75 people camped out around the perimeter of a damp horseshoe-shaped meadow that may later serve as a bus village. A giddy, excited feeling hung in the air as our small band found itself thrown together on the night before beginning an immense undertaking. Galloping drum beats started up at the large campfire at the far end of the meadow. A young man with a scar and stitch marks running the length of his torso gazed around the meadow, which was bathed in the light of an almost full moon. This is his first gathering, and he was already swept up in the excitement. I don't believe it, he said. This is so amazing. This is nothing, brother, the man standing next to him broke in. Just wait till you see what's coming. Mama, 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 mama,
Seed Camp Journal Entry Number 2, Walking the Site, Allegheny National Forest. I began the day with a peanut butter and jelly sandwich and a slice of watermelon, and I ended it in front of a campfire listening to people reading the poetry of Rumi, the 13th century Sufi mystic. In between, I walked all around the gathering site. Main Meadow. There will be no water shortage this year. The forest is dotted with freshwater springs, and Main Meadow will be near the S-shaped confluence of Bear Creek and Little Otter Creek. Walking barefoot in those cool, clear streams, I could easily picture hundreds of naked hippies splashing and lounging about a month from now. There was concern expressed about rattlesnakes that may be living in some of the rockier areas of the site. However, Green Light has promised to spend a night sleeping with the snakes to see if there is any actual danger. Main Circle will be located in the middle of an enormous meadow. You first see the meadow at a distance while walking in on the trail above Little Otter Creek. It's a breathtaking sight, and at that moment you will understand why you journeyed so far to be here. Ancient mountain ridges rise in the distance, and the meadow itself gently tilts into a bog that lies at one end. The meadow is sprinkled with shrub-like serviceberry trees and white plastic tubes that contain dead fruit trees planted by the Forest Service. Twenty of us wandered through the meadow looking for the central energy point. A silver-bearded hippie from Woodstock ground-scored a turkey feather, and a sister quickly clasped it to a stick that she had just found. The stick was planted in the ground, and we held the first of what will be many ohm circles at that spot. The feather will later be used in council meetings. Who would imagine that an object of such humble origins will soon become the focal point of so many clashing egos? Searching for Freshwater Springs Later, I went searching for more freshwater springs with Michael, one of the Pennsylvania scouts. Scouting is about searching for the proverbial needle in the haystack. It is demanding work, and Michael has been doing it every weekend since April. We followed Pole Road Creek going away from Main Meadow. I sneezed and heard the sound echo up the long, narrow valley. There was a crashing sound, and we caught a glimpse of a white-tailed deer bounding through the woody thicket. Though this site is water-rich, possible springs are being tested, at $36 a pop, for excessive concentrations of iron and sulfur. Michael examined the wavy lines on his topo map and the contour of the land around us. Miles of PVC pipe will be laid in the coming weeks. Kitchens will pop up wherever there is a steady water supply. And it all begins when a keen-eyed scout spots a trickle of water gurgling up through the soil.
So I'm walking down in the calm. There's people eating. It looks like probably something medicinal. And there's a man treating somebody. Looks like a cut on his head, I think. So I'm going to try to find somebody who's in charge. We'll see if that's a possibility. My legal name is Seven Song. I'm working here at the first aid station at the Rainbow Gathering. And how long have you been helping out at Calm? 14 years, 15 years, something like that. Mm -hmm. What do you do in Babylon? I don't believe in Babylon. I feel like the Rainbow Gathering is as much Babylon as any place else in the world. Uh, there's as much thievery and disrespect. So what I do in the outside world when I'm not here is I work in, I run an herb school, uh, the Northeast School of Botanical Medicine. I work in a free clinic where I'm the director of holistic medicine. But I really, I'm really, I feel like there's no division between here and there. And where is that located? Ithaca, New York. Tell us about Calm. What's the purpose of it? Uh, well, basically, it's the first aid station, and it's trying to meet as many people's medical needs as possible. What does Calm stand for? All right, so it stands for a Center of Alternative Living Medicine, but I just want to say I've always felt it was a silly name, and I would, what living medicine is. So I tend to call it just the first aid station or the medical area, but that's what it stands for. I think they came up with what they wanted it to be called. It happened like 16 years ago because we used to be called MASH, and then people just didn't really like the word MASH, and so eventually they came up with the common, and then I think they filled in the acronym. What's the craziest thing you've ever treated here? <laughs> it's funny because it's pretty obvious. One time this guy came here, and um, he had pretty bad diabetes. It's not funny. I mean, it's, it's funny, interesting, bizarre. And he was somebody who was very large, and he didn't really ever look at the, below his legs. And he said his legs felt tingly and weird, and we asked him to roll his pants up, and they were maggots covering his leg on both sides. And basically, they were eating they were eating the necrotic flesh. I mean, he had bad diabetes, which isn't funny at all, but I've never seen it. He just rolled it up, I'm telling you, just covered in maggots. He had no idea they were there. Oh and so he had a, one of the few times I flinched, because I'm pretty good with blood and pus and pain and anger. I mean, all the stuff we see there, I mean, it's part of my life. But that was weird. What did you do? Uh, we got a nurse to come in. We started just pouring isopropyl alcohol to kill uh, the maggots on his leg. I mean, it makes sense. If you know what maggots do, they eat the outer flesh. Sometimes they use medicinally this way, but these were not medicinal. These were fly maggots. So. You feel like there isn't a separation between the rainbows and the outside world. Is that a unique perspective here? I don't really know. I imagine a lot of people, I mean, I bring 14 students, to, I run a school, an herb school in Ithaca, New York, and I bring 14 students or 16 students every year, and a lot of them don't really like the Rainbow Gathering and feel it's even more Babylon than out in the world, you know, more judgmental, more hypocritical, more misogynistic, I mean, and I see a lot of that here. And so I would say, I, I think a lot of people who feel that don't come to Rainbow Gatherings, but I like service, I like treating people. I would never come here without doing first aid. Like I have no interest in really in the drum circles or being a part of anything else, but I love service. And man, we're just crazily of service here. I spend a lot of money every year, bring a lot of medicines, and also it's a great uh, place to teach students. So what I really, to sum up the question, I think that most people who feel that way just wouldn't come here. Like I, I, have, I, have, uh, I do work plant walks here at 10 a.m. And when people say, how do I you know it's 10 a.m.? And I'll say, well, you look at your watch. And they'll say, I have the babylometer or something. And it's just like, it's just a simple little device. <laughs> there's nothing wrong. I mean, there's just nothing wrong with watches. I mean, if you're attached to your watch. So, I mean, that kind of stuff where it's just kind of reverse prejudice. What are the most common things you treat? That's uh, easy. Uh, foot problems, because lots of people not wearing shoes. And they, 
Uh, a lot of, well, a lot of it stems from what I call slocks, which is sudden loss of common sense. So people come out here and think, well, I'll just, I wear shoes all the time, everywhere, and I'm going to come to the woods and take off my shoes, you know? Yeah, right? And then they just have no idea how to be barefoot. I mean, some people here know how to be barefoot, but we don't see them. But we see lots of foot injuries, uh, lots of diarrhea and upset stomachs, headaches. Here at 9,000 feet, we see high altitude sickness with people not knowing what it is, dehydration, a lot of belly aches a lot of inflammation, a lot of exacerbation of existing conditions because new environment and not the foods are accommodating and used to uh, eating. Those are some of them, lots of things get in people's eyes. You're motivated by service. There's lots of places you could go to serve. Why here? Uh, that's a good question. Uh, I started coming here 26 or 27 years ago when I had more of a belief system of what the rainbow gathering is. Most of that has petered away over the years. But there's very few places I'm, I'm, a I'm an herbalist, and so there's just very few places an herbalist can get out their hands on with a lot of practice. So you can go to like, I don't know, some kind of Woodstock 29 or something, and maybe, but very few people, and most places I go and practice, people really want to see a doctor or a nurse, and I'm always, even though I've been studying for seven years, I'm often relegated to like a second, third, or fourth position, and I'm pretty competent, I know a fair amount of diagnostics, I mean, I practice medicine, you know, and herbs are what I tend to give. I'm not a doctor, I'm not, I don't want to be a doctor, I'm an herbalist. And so here, um, lots of people are willing to see an herbalist and want to see an herbalist, and I get to really practice my craft, and I love first aid. I'm just, in Ayurveda, I'm very pitta, and I like, you know, blood and pus just excite me. <laughs> <laughs> How do you get along with the medical staff, the doctors and nurses? Oh, it just depends. You mean here? Uh, well, here, pretty good. I mean, at the past couple of years, I'm probably one of the focal points of calm. So if they want to work here, it's usually people, you know, it's these self-select things, you know. So these folks pretty much want to work here, and they know that I'm going to be here. Uh, most of the, I mean, most doctors who come here never say they're doctors, right? They just, they're having fun. They're not here to practice. The doctors who come here to practice, but we don't generally, have, most of the doctors don't spend much time in calm. So I don't, there's not really much tension because they're not really there to do that. You said your belief system has changed since 26 years ago, or what made your belief system change? Um, a lot of things have made my beliefs. I've become much more, I guess the word would be materialistic. I really believe in the biology of life and cells and interactions. The Rainbow Gathering, to me, has a tremendous amount of judgmentalness and, um, what's the word? People, not a lot of critical thinking, a lot of kind of belief in spirituality without a lot of uh, focus and presence and service in the world. And it's not an easy question to answer, but I guess just to become more thoughtful. And for me, I'm just indulging in my belief in science, really. And so a lot of things here have a strong spiritual values and uh, people can have spirituality. A lot of people do have spirituality, but it's not really the world that I'm from. I feel like here we are, we're presence, Let's do what we can without, you know, relying on other deities or other aspects. And so a little more conservative is what I've become um, over the years. And also, I'll tell you, the drug use here makes me crazy. It's just such a drug-indulgent culture often. I mean, I'm very libertarian and think that drugs should pretty much all be legal. But uh, recreational drugs, <laughs> yeah, many drugs need to be protected. 
And so, like that has just altered me seeing really what happens when people obsess over drug use. Not the occasional use of recreational drugs to enjoy themselves. That's fantastic. It's been used throughout history. But here people come and they just get wasted, a lot of them, without really enjoying the beauty of nature, not being an active part of this community. And it always seems like maybe 10 or 15% of the people hold up the vast majority. And so seeing that made me, made me very sober when I was young. And like, how do I be a part of that? And I guess all of that leads to a kind of um, like a, a presence on the earth, a physical terrain kind of orientation. I think that's about it. I can go on for hours. Oh my gosh, I could talk to you for hours. This was very helpful. Thank you very much. Thanks for doing this. My name is Josh Fox, and uh, come out here as an herbalist. Where are you from, Josh? I live in the Asheville area, oh, North Carolina. That's fantastic. You're a volunteer here at Calm, yeah. right? And um, tell us about the supplies here. What have we got? Well, a lot of what we carry is uh, a lot of herbs that folks have harvested from their areas. A bunch of herbalists come out here and bring their medicines, which could be tinctures or salves or oils or dry plant matter. Then also some other uh, herbs that we harvest here on the site. Oh, are some of these that you found right here in the forest? Yeah. What are these? So these are leaves of uh, yarrow, Achillea millifolium. And uh, it's just a really great antibacterial. It grows all around the country. Good for cuts, burns, stopping bleeding, open wounds. How would you actually use that if someone came in bleeding? What would you do with it? Well, basically do a, what we call a spit poultice. It's where you chew up some of the leaves and the saliva. The enzymes in your saliva activate, break open some of the cell walls, releasing the medicine. And we can just put that plant matter directly on the wound. That's awesome. Yeah, I've, I know that um, I've heard that, well, animals lick their wounds, right? Sure. And saliva itself is good. Someone told me one time to that I should lick mosquito bites. Mm. Have you ever heard that? I've never heard of that. <laughs> sort of people using urine on things, but, you know, there's really powerful enzymes. Digestion starts in the mouth, so just the saliva is the first step to breaking things down which could be food that we're digesting, or it could be medicine to help get the right constituents out. What are these other herbs? This one looks like, um, I don't know, kind of scraggly hair. What is this that? This is uh, usnea. It's actually a lichen that grows on dead trees. Wow. That's for the bladder, I think? Um, some people use it for, uh, for kind of the kidney meridian, but I tend to use it myself for, to control strep throat. It's also strongly antibacterial. And Have you seen strep throat out here? A number of cases. Wow. That would be communicable, like, um, right? So it could yeah. spread. For, uh, definitely for bigger cases, we'll treat as much as we can and then try to keep those folks isolated. Um, but even for, this is a great herb, even for sore throats, itchy throats, to just prevent strep from coming in as much as treating it. You've got um, several, what, yards here of um, all kinds of different things. I see some things in bottles, and what else have you got? This looks like, um, is that ginger root? Yeah, we have some old ginger root. We have some over-the-counter medicines that folks donate, different ibuprofens and things. Ginger root for, uh, to help with digestion, stomach aches, and also nausea. What's really. here in the box? These are mainly uh, tinctures, different uh, so alcohol-based medicines. 
we'll take plants that won't preserve on their own and we put them in alcohols and essentially that will preserve it for three years or even longer so we can bring different medicines from our parts of the world out here to use with the patients. What motivates you to come and serve at the gathering? There's, it's all like one big family here and my role, what I've been learning in the last six, seven years has been uh, healing people with plants so that's the best way that I can help out the family here. Some are cooks, some uh, dig latrines for people to use and my role is kind of to work with the plants and help heal. What's the most unusual case you've had to deal with that worked with herbs? Um, you know we see a lot of people in the course of a day I might see 40 different people and uh, I'll give them herbs from any kind of condition whether it's a bladder infection, a simple cough, a fever, um, a staph infection and a lot of people I don't see again so hopefully by not seeing them we I think uh, they've done well with the herbs but rarely do we get people coming back here telling us so oh, this worked great because when you're fine you don't even think about your health anymore it's really fantastic anything else you want to let our listeners know about calm or about the gathering um, I've just seen since I've been out here I've seen such a resurgence and herbal medicine. We, have, we used to have 10 or 20 people on plant walks, now we have 50 or 60. And uh, people are realizing, you know, with the way the pharmaceutical industry is right now, that plants just can do so much for us. And there's such a future getting back into herbal medicine. You guys do a plant walk every morning, is that right? There's one every morning and usually a couple others, either from this camp or from another. Mushroom walks as well. and. Yeah, assorted workshops of all kind out here at Rainbow. Is there one tomorrow morning or not because of the silence? Not tomorrow. The next day after they'll continue. And yeah, some of them are more spiritual, some of them are more scientific. Depends who's leading the walk. You've been very kind. Thank you very much. I no appreciate problem. it. Yeah, thanks, thanks for coming out here and exploring. Thanks, thank you. Teriani Riggs. Great. So, Teriani, how many gatherings have you been to? I've been to, this is my 16th national in my 18th year of gathering. What brings you back? I think this is one of the most important annual experiments in creating a different world or creating a different society that's not based on hierarchy and is actually attempting to change the world from within and using a lot of us products of a dysfunctional culture to try to create a culture that works and finding the experience of anarchy not as just complete chaos but as just having control but not under anyone else's control is an exp interesting experiment to me and very vital to the work in the world because there's so much hierarchy and we've decided that hierarchy has such a high social cost that it's not really useful or, or worthwhile and here I've actually found having teamwork be higher functioning than a high functioning hierarchy and that surprised me because I believed like many others that hierarchy was the most highest functioning way of doing power but had too high a social cost and I found that in a medical emergency my team has worked just as well as any of my teams in the other world when I did search and rescue on an emergency. I'm fine, Jack. Well, because the Leos are down over here in mass right now with their pepper spray guns. Okay. And I'll take I her just, down there and after. I just want to make sure that nothing 
Goes Sounds right. good. So I'll take her over after. Okay. You want to walk down there with me, or are you on um, I am. I'm not on calm. I'm on the radio. Do you okay. want to do that right now? I'd like to see what's going on if you're curious. Is that okay? I'm not particularly curious unless a problem happens. Yeah. I, I try to have a rainbow gathering unless there's an actual problem. Yeah. Now, they historically do create problems on the 3rd of July, but there's been an unprecedented amount of cooperation from the LEOs this year, and we were sort of hoping they wouldn't create an incident on the 3rd of July this year. Last year was the worst they'd ever created, but they've created some very bad incidents in the past. And I, we believe they use us for their training purposes to learn crowd control because we don't have weapons. We're not, we're not a big protester march. We're just here having fun or doing our spiritual prayers. And they like to come in, and we call them the incident creation team. And the ICT is what they call themselves. We just say incident creation team instead of incident command team. And I think folks are pretty worried that they're going to try to create an incident, which is historically true of the last few years. Last year, they opened fire on our children's village at dinner time on the 3rd of July, creating a lot of problems. Yes, it's difficult to stay calm and peaceful when someone is doing something agitating. Well, I was actually one of the people who got shot last year trying to protect the cops from the creation, the incident they created. And they were shooting their crowd control, and then they decided they wanted to arrest those of us who were trying to protect them. And they didn't do it then. They came later on trying to look for us, hunt us down, and it's very disturbing. I'm a medic. I'm an EMT, and I go to wherever there's a crisis, and whether it's hippie on hippie, or whether it's cop on cop, or whether it's hippie and cop, or whatever it is, or whether it's a heart attack, that's where I go. I'm like a white blood cell of the rainbow gathering. And so I was in between the cops and a very angry mass of people who had their children shot at. And the cops, the LEOs, decided they wanted to shoot us as well. <laughs> Not a very intelligent decision to do because we were the only things between a full-out riot. And there was only five of us, I think, five to seven of us, stopping a full-out riot from happening. And they were shooting at us as well. What techniques did you use to keep people calm? Well, there wasn't really any keeping calm because of what, you know, shooting into a children isn't really a great thing to do to keep anybody calm. But some of the, the de-escalation tactics of Shantasena, which are peacekeepers, which we all are at Rainbow Gatherings, but I'm one of the people who stay online to answer problem calls. Um, one thing that's important with l most law enforcement officers is they have a very large bubble when they're scared. They have a bubble anyways when they're not scared, but they get scared easily from my experience and to keep people out of that bubble especially when they've drawn live weapons, which they ended up at the end of our time, they ended up drawing live weapons. And it's like, okay, keep the crowd as far back as possible. Try to keep any kind of stones or sticks that anybody might want to throw out of their frustration at having been shot at. The, the LEOs were actually aiming their lasers on people's foreheads, which was just, you know, creating more incensing. You know, the LEOs were escalating, and it was really hard. It's hard to de-escalate when one or both sides continues to escalate. But the biggest thing we can do is just keep a big separation between the two parties, just like any fight. How do you stay the neutral party? What's going on inside of you, and how do you keep yourself calm? In the moment, I'm not sure how neutral I am. I'm just doing the job. Afterwards, I have a lot of feelings, especially after I got shot. And then we had a respiratory arrest case right afterwards um, that was directly related to the pepper spray that had been put out. And I was the lead medic on that for the first time. I'm not usually the lead on a life or death. And that was my first time being the lead medic, the only medic there on a life or death. And we were having to breathe for and we were doing, um, we didn't even have the bag valve mask yet. You know, we are it's like, okay, get your face mask out. It was like all of this right after a six hour movie. I can't say I was neutral. In fact, the I was angry at the hippies and I was at the cops because I think we responded poorly to that situation. I think. The, the law enforcement officers often do this, and they often react poorly. I expect that of them. I expect us to act better. What do you expect people to do? 
to act better. I would hope that we'd have enough presence of mind to keep our hearts and our and our souls in with our anger, like and to not act out of our anger, have our anger but not act out of it. And you know, we, there's a way to do non-compliance without having to be angry or violent about it or screaming or threatening, and certainly without putting your dogs or your children in danger. And people were putting their dogs and children in danger. Well, one child, not everyone. There was a lot of dogs. Like I'm I'm a civil disobedience activist. I've done a lot of civil disobedience in my past, and so I know how to be how to stand up for what I believe in and choose to risk arrest. You don't take in non-consenting parties like someone too too young to consent or an animal that doesn't know what it's getting into. And so a lot of the hippies have their dogs following the cops up. And it's like the dogs could get shot. The you know the children. There was one person putting his child in danger. So when I came down I was very, very angry at the people who put other people in danger. What did you do with your anger? Oh, I think it got translated into PTSD, actually. I came back this year with PTSD from that incident, from getting shot, and also from another incident where I had six officers rushing me when I was alone in the parking lot <laughs> with um, automatic weapons. And I've never had it personal before. I've done a lot of peacekeeping, a lot of medicking, and when I've risked arrest, I chose to risk arrest. I've never actually been alone while six officers with automatic weapons <laughs> were rushing me. So that, combined with getting shot, created a lot of nightmares and a lot of other things. And I was thinking, well, maybe I'm just not strong enough. It's not like I'm in Afghanistan, but I'm also not trained to have six people with automatic weapons charging me either. So, I mean, I'm still learning how to work with my anger and how not to act out of anger. I think normally I don't act out of anger under crisis, but it takes a heavy toll on me later. But it is a natural reaction of the human mind to protect itself. And I think one of the things about the human mind is that ideally, if we're not in post-traumatic stress disorder, we should also have other parts of us engaged as well, so we make good decisions, even with our anger. Anger is a great fuel. It burns hot, but it burns fast, and it burns you out. I learned this as an environmental activist and an indigenous rights activist. Anger is a, a very powerful fuel, but there's no way to keep going all your life on it. And I mean, we can do the same actions with different fuel. I'm really curious about forgiveness, and it's asking a lot of the rainbows to forgive what happened last year. What part do you think forgiveness plays here? I'm not sure what part it plays other than my knowledge spiritually, how important it is to forgive ourselves and to forgive those around us. But that's easy to say and a lot harder to internalize, I think. Many of the folks here are really amazing, peaceful people, and they work on having forgiveness. And there's a lot of people who have hate for law enforcement, there's, but there's a lot of folks really who see them as family and really want them to just take off their guns and join us. Anything else you'd like to say about the importance of peace or how it works at the gathering? Well, if you can imagine 20,000 people coming to the same place with the intention to treat each other as family, not just um, the lip speak and not necessarily succeeding in this, but with every single person having an intention to treat each other as family, that's an entirely different environment than I think any of us have experienced anywhere else. And I think you've experienced a little bit of that yourself here. There's, a, there's miracles daily because the intention is that every stranger is a family member, that this is actually home. And that's something when you get 20,000 people doing that as their prayer, as their meditation, whether they succeed or not, whether they're the abused drug user kid who ran away from home, or whether it's the engineer who works for NASA, which we have everything here. If they all come together to believe this, then you have some of the most amazing magic you could have in the world right here. And that's why I come back every year. Thanks very much. So I'm here for Main Circle. 
It's about three giant, make that four, concentric circles. There's white powder on the ground that marks the circle. People are sitting on either side of the circle. It's mostly really young people. There are a few old people, but not that many. I'd say maybe mm, 15, 20%, you would see somebody who looks like they're over 30. It's a giant open field. The edge of the field, surrounded with trees and tents and just happy people everywhere. The most popular colors are gray and brown, dark green, and it's all sprinkled with bright colors. A lot of tie-dye, a lot of knit hats, a lot of drumming, percussion instruments, some teepees on the edge. I think I'm going to look for some really quiet people to sit next to. It's phenomenal. There's got to be several thousand people in these giant concentric circles. It's sprinkling now, and the sky is looking like it's really going to rain. My name is Jennifer Simpson. My association here at the gathering is kind of complex. My dear friend Karen has been going to gatherings for 20 plus years and has been trying to get me to go to one for 20 plus years. <laughs> and I almost went to one, I don't know, about 15 years ago. And this one was so close to where I am now, it was kind of hard to say no this time. So it's a little outside of my comfort zone. But Karen is a dear friend and I've heard stories for years. So it's kind of a fun opportunity to check it out myself. What's uncomfortable about it? I'm not um, really one to go around hugging people and saying we love you. <laughs> I grew up in a military family. We're a little more reserved. <laughs> so I don't know. I mean, but it's also been really interesting to me seeing, seeing that because there are people that probably no one ever tells them we love you and no one ever tells them welcome home. And it kind of is really kind of moving, actually. What's moving about it? Just because I think there's some people that come to the gatherings here um, that probably more mainstream society might look at them as bums. I mean, I'll just be frank. Um, some of them are kind of living on the margins and the fringes, and they may not have strong family and friend support, but they do have that here, and I think that's really neat to see it. How authentic does it feel to you? I think, you know, 98% authentic. <laughs> You know, there's a little bad energy everywhere you go. Um, you know, I've seen a couple people getting upset, and you know, but it's just like any place else, really. I mean, it's it's in a way, it's sort of a utopian thing, but they've also sort of recreated what there is every every place else too. Whenever you have a large group of people that come together, you get some really great people and you get some really bad people, and that's just what happens in communities. You were out here in the main area when the LEOs, the law enforcement officers, came out. Tell us what happened. Well, I'm not really sure what happened. They were pretty much just cruising the area. And my friend Karen participates in the Shantasina group. So she um, makes it her mission to follow them and to yell six up to warn people that they're coming. And because in the past, they've been known to ticket people for relatively minor offenses like dogs off leash and then have it be like a mandatory court appearance down in Albuquerque this time which is kind of a hassle 
So I just started following her. And they really weren't doing anything. I'm not really quite sure what they were looking for. Um, so I don't know. So I just followed them. And they were just kind of walking around and people were shouting six up and guns in the church. And they were filming, which I think uh, also people find a little offensive here too. Um, I think you should ask permission. And, you know, of course, they're probably filming for law enforcement purposes. How did you feel? Did you feel threatened or not? That's kind of hard to say. You know, uh, there's this, in a way, yes. I mean, they're carrying guns. They can pretty much do what they want. Were they real guns? They were real guns. A couple of them had real guns. And, um, you know, you don't argue with people with guns. <laughs> At least I don't. So, yeah, I mean, there is a level of intimidation that's there just because of the, relation, the power relationship, you know. Um, I guess in some ways, I'm, I don't know which S I am. So, so I maybe didn't feel as intimidated as some people. Long line of military family here. I'm used to, you know, stern men with guns. <laughs> Not a new Although thing. My dad was an engineer, so I don't really think he carried a gun. But you know, the whole—it's the—the attitude is not too dissimilar. Our show is about making peace. What do you expect to learn or take away about peacemaking from the gathering? Wow, that's a really good question. Um, well, one thing I've already kind of taken away is that peace really is a choice. I mean. It's a choice we make every single day in every interaction. You know, when um, I was up here earlier, uh, about 10 days ago, and um, I know there was like a domestic disturbance, <laughs> for lack of a better. And the way they dealt with it here was, you know, instead of like hauling off somebody and arresting them and throwing them in jail, they, you know, they surrounded them and ohmed and talked them down basically, rather than being confrontational. It's more of like a, how can we heal this problem? And I don't know if that's always going to work. <laughs> it would be nice to think it would. And um, I, also, I also really enjoyed hearing um, Garrick Beck speak at the town meeting when he said that, um, you know, we come up here and pray for peace. And, and then he kind of jokingly said, it hasn't worked yet, but but we're hopeful. <laughs> and, and I think, you know, I think that's the other thing to take away from this about peace. You know, okay, probably on the 5th of July, the war in Iraq and the war in Afghanistan will not be over. I'm not naive, but it can't hurt. <laughs> and to have 10,000 people come together and to try and manifest that kind of intention, I think it's pretty powerful. I mean, you know, one small step can change the world, right? I mean, so that's what I'm trying to take away <laughs> from it, but it's a choice. Thanks. It's alternating between sprinkling and raining. People have their hats on, mostly wool hats. There's lots of dogs on leashes, a lot of raincoats. My bright blue marmot is probably really sticking out. There's teepees with big fires, drums. Ethan Novikov, and uh, I'm just an attendee today. Where are you from, Ethan? Um, originally, I'm from Cleveland, Ohio, but I'm living in Denver right now. 
Is this your first gathering? It is my first gathering. What prompted you to come? Um, my girlfriend Megan here has been uh, twice and, well, has been once. This is her second time, so she encouraged me to come and uh, has always spoken very highly of this event. So, What was the one thing she said that convinced you to come? Um, I don't know if it was anything she said, but I guess the idea of people expressing their right to assemble was appealing to me. I think it's important to uh, exercise our rights that are guaranteed to us. Um, so I think for that aspect, to the aspect of expressing that right is important and uh, useful in this day and age. Our program is about peacemaking. What do you think you might learn, or what have you learned so far about making peace here that you don't learn in the outside world? Um, well, I suppose out here, you know, everyone's trying to, to do their own thing, but also trying to work together to um, create something that's bigger than all of us, and I think that that's a good way to, to view it, to not just focus on yourself, but on the overall good and the overall mission of peace. Um, what is that human drive to connect with more than just one person? What's, what's compelling us to gather like this with huge groups? Uh, I don't know, I suppose it's uh, an innate sense that we have just as mammals and um, you know we're a sociable species you know we like to be in groups and I think we gain support from each other and other positive emotions when we're in groups and acting peacefully and cooperating. What do you think that is? that we get from each other. So what do you get when you look out and you see all these people basically getting along? What happens in your brain? I suppose it just, uh, it reminds me that, you know, we're all related. We're all of the same species. You know, we're all basically the, the same thing. Um, and, you know, we're all, we all have similar similar goals but different in life and you know we're all just trying to survive and do our thing and um, express our own free will so I guess I just see everyone kind of being an individual but also being connected as as we are of the same species and I don't know if that answers your question or not it does okay thanks a bunch of guys yeah. Mostly people look a little tired, a little cold. Some people have gotten their food and they're eating. Other people seem to be sitting very patiently waiting. These beautiful bowls, camping bowls, Tibetan singing bowls, plastic kitty bowls, all different colors and shapes. Yogurt container, I thought about doing that. Here's a woman in black boots 
blue jeans, baby blue, blue jean jacket. And she has one of those really thin plastic rain covers on. She's holding probably a one gallon sterling silver bucket. She has a soup ladle. People are holding out their cups and bowls. She's ladling soup into it. She walks down the line and hits the next person. Looks like a pretty thin broth with some vegetables. People are waiting patiently for her to come around. Looks like greens and maybe some potatoes in there. Everybody's getting about a cup if they're lucky. So they're bringing around salad. It looks like some people have some corn. It looks like the uh, soup is actually quite hot, steamy, and healthy looking. My name's Casey Diaz. Um, I'm a rainbow. Uh, you know, I've I been to a lot of nationals. I enjoy it, you know. I, it, there's a lot of reasons to come here, you know, and I think everybody it varies just a little bit, but for me it's more about like getting back to the land or like getting away from the cities for a little while and finding some peace through this. Um, I try to learn while I'm here, you know, because there's a lot of things you can learn here from surviving in the woods to just learning guitar, you know, simple things about life, you know, and that it makes it all worth it, you know, to see this many people be able to come together in a peaceful fashion, you know and kind of assemble and live, in, live with the land peacefully for a while and then some of us have to go back to our other lives, you know. So it, it's beautiful to see. Our show is called Peace Talks. And so we're here to learn why, what motivates people to come. And you talked a lot about the land. What does the land do for you that promotes peace? Um, I'm from Indiana. So there's no mountains there, you know, and it's like this, there's no scenery there like this. I see cornfields every day, you know, and I see what is happening to the land through the wrong type of farming. You know, it's getting better, but so coming here and seeing this lush, basically untouched part of the country, you know, it, it brings me peace to know that it still exists and that there are more people trying to make more of this land, you know, or like return some of the old land to how it was. Talk about that experience of peace that you get here sitting on the earth that you don't get at home. What does it feel like? Um, it's, it's calming, you know. I, I think the 4th of July is a perfect example here. Pro you know, there's probably, there'll be 25,000 people here tomorrow. Everyone's going to come out here together and sit in complete silence, you know, for most of the day. And then the children will come in the middle and will ohm and, you know, kind of break apart. But it's like that ohm, you have 20,000 people holding hands in a beautiful scenery and all arming together, it's it's undeniable, you know, I mean, there's no, you can't deny the feeling of peace and togetherness that comes from something that large. What would you say to critics that say, oh, it's just temporary, or it's a bunch of freaks, it's a bunch of hippies, it doesn't have any meaning, it doesn't last? You know, I, it's not true, you know, I mean, I can, 
I can understand that some people will see that and part of it is they've never experienced it you know I mean the rainbow there's been the first rainbow gathering was in 71 there was unofficial ones prior to that so it's obvious that it's not just a flash in the pan you know we're we're all proof of that it, you know it's it's getting bigger not smaller and I think with the way the economy in our country is going more people are opening their ears and eyes to situations like this because they they've seen there needs to be some kind of change um, personally I I do not agree with all of the rainbow ideas you know but I'll, I do agree with with the essential cores of the ideas you know the basic ideas what's the essential core that you really believe in for the gathering as far as here I mean leaving the land how we found it you know, there there will be people here a month after everybody's gone cleaning this up, picking out the little pieces of toilet paper out of the shitters, you know, tearing everything down, just walking around, picking up trash. And, you know, <coughs> sorry, since we promote living with the land, we try to lead by example in that way. And if we can't do that, then everything after that doesn't mean anything, you know. If we can't hold our most basic idea, to live with the land peacefully and leave it as we were, then <coughs> all the details after that, you know, mean nothing. Describe the tattoo on your back. It I, says HIV positive. I couldn't read it because oh, I'm sorry. sitting I'm sitting next to you, so I just wanted you to describe it. Oh yeah. It's about how big? Um, it goes all the way across my back, so I don't know, 24, 25 inches, something. It's prominent on my back, you know. I mean. And usually when I wear t-shirts, the HIV part sticks out. Um, I, I try to bring my, my message about that here. I, you know, I wear a sign on my front usually that states the same thing. Um, I'm not trying to scare people. I just, I just want them to think about it and be more aware. You know, I mean, it's just about making smarter decisions so you don't end up in my situation, you know. I, I don't want to see my friends and family go through potentially what I will. Um, and there are a lot of people out here who maybe don't consider the possibility. I'm the only person here with this tattoo, but I'm not the only person here with HIV. You know, I've had a number of people come up to me and tell me they also have HIV, you know, because I'm open about it. You know, and I just, I just want them to be more comfortable. You know, I fight against the stigma of what it is. You know, people think if you get HIV, your life is over, and people give up. And I, I try to, I try to show them that that's not true. You, I still have a life. I'm far from, you know, over. You know. You look really healthy. Thank you. I, I. I, I, I am pretty healthy. I stay pretty healthy. I'm not on HIV medication, um, but I just try to eat right, exercise, you know, but that's the core for anybody, any, you know, even regular people's health, you know, you have to eat right, you have to have physical activity and try to keep your stress down. How accepting would you say are most people? Or what kind of reaction do you get? Because that's one thing that's promoted in the gathering is inclusivity. Nobody's outer. Sadly enough, I get about the same reaction here that I do in the rest of the world. The majority of the people are happy for what I'm doing. 
a lot of people just have honest questions that they want to ask, that they're afraid to ask people, but if they know that I have HIV, they're more comfortable asking me. You know, I get a few people who are like, why would you ever do that? You know, like, there's people, you know, I mean, there's people who are like, it's a lie, it's a scam by the government, you know, and I, I know I have a virus in my body, you know, but I just try to give them the information, and if, if they don't accept it, it's, there's nothing I can, you know, I mean, I'm not here to force it on people, you know, I'm just, I just want people to think more about their actions, you know. Because that translates into the rest of the world, you know, I mean, it makes the world a better place, not just for HIV, but for everything, you know, and that's, that's what it's about to me. My main message is HIV, but the cores of what I believe in spread throughout every, every life, you know. Here comes the soup kettle. Yeah. Casey, thanks so much for talking. Yeah, no problem. Thank you. Would you like some salad? Absolutely. Would you like some salad? Yeah, thanks. So I'm wondering, would you guys be willing to be interviewed briefly? Sure. Um, for okay. broadcast and webcast? Sure. Kelsey Erickson, or you can call me Mushroom. Ashley or Star. <laughs> Mushroom and Star. All right. Tell our <laughs> listeners what you two look like. Uh, mud people. <laughs> Mud monsters. Mud monsters. Mud monsters. Mud nymphs. Mud nymphs. Oh, yeah. I like that. Yeah. And um, so, what's going on with your hair? Uh, well, it is a flaming red mohawk, but at the moment it is caked up with mud. <laughs> and I do have this rainbow-colored braid, but you can't really tell. It's a mud at lock. this point. It's a mud lock. And I have a full set of mud locks. Now, how do you get so much mud to stick? How do you do that? You mud wrestle. Mud wrestle. <laughs> Where did you do that? At um, Dirty Kids Camp. Oh, there's a Dirty Kids Camp. Dirty Kids Camp. Okay. You guys look fantastic. What does it feel like to be covered in mud? Oh, it feels, feels really good. good. <laughs> Our show is about making peace. What does mud have to do with peace? Well, it's Earth. <laughs> it's the Earth Mother. She's peaceful, right? <laughs> yeah, you guys are the Earth. There's no yeah. distinction, right? Right. Okay, so what is the most important? Is this your first, second, third, tenth gathering? What is third it? Third for me. Yeah, it's my second. And so with a third gathering, what do you take back besides, um, you know, some muddy shoes? What's the most important thing that you'll learn and keep with you from a gathering? Just love everybody and share it and enjoy it and pass it on. We can change the world. <laughs> Is that easy to do when you get back to work and people are jerks? And can you really hold on to the feeling of fun and love? The rainbow, the rainbow feeling stays with you forever. I mean, it the the magic stays with you real strong for you know a month or so, and it but it's always there, and you can always Attractive. tap into it. Yeah. Yeah, and you meet ra rainbow people everywhere. <laughs> you do. Yeah. Tell me one story when you're back in Babylon and something's really making you mad. How do you tap into the peace? How do you remember it? And how does it change your behavior to calm down? Well, for instance, okay, so I have a flaming red mohawk, right? So this is kind of this pol polar thing that happens where people either love it or they hate it, right? So I get a lot of like really strange looks. And I've learned that if I just give them the biggest, most heartfelt grin, they melt. They melt. 
and people respond to love. I hope you two just continue having tons of fun. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. Loving you. Loving Loving you. Bye-bye. Oh, my goodness. Hello. Those girls were covered with mud from head to toe. I could see their eyeballs, and that was about it. They were adorable. My name is Joyce, and my association with The Gathering is that I... um, like to come here. So I know you don't represent all African Americans, but it's so white here, I have to wear shades. What is going on? Where are the people of color? Um, I think that, well, there are some people of color here. Um, It is predominantly white, though, I think for a lot of reasons, um, because the hippie movement in general is pretty a white movement. they're pretty white. Well, let me stop you there. Why is the hippie movement mostly white? Uh, well, okay, like, talking to my mother, like, I'm uh, a black woman, and talking to my mom, uh, we used to argue about feminism a lot. She had no room for it, and finally one day I was like, but mom, you are totally a feminist. And she, once I explained to her what, what it was, it made sense to her. But because she grew up in, you know, the 60s and 70s when feminism was becoming, um, you know, a bigger movement, it didn't include women of color, and so my mom really didn't care for it. The problems that white women at that time were facing, it was mostly uh, middle-class, you know, white uh, women problems, and not not necessarily things that um, applied to women of color, women of poverty. So I think as far as uh, the hippie movement kind of is similar to that, as far as um, it's, it is very inclusive, but I can understand why some people of color don't feel that it is or have other priorities. Um, like, you know, they can't take off three weeks to go to the woods or, you know, a week or whatever because they have their job and they have to take care of their family and provide for their family and they have other concerns rather than coming to the forest to. Um, you know, do whatever people imagine it is that people do at rainbow gatherings. Basically, what do you do here? Well, um, today I did some yoga, and I was in a, a circle, a bunch of people talking about um, things that were important to us. Um, just camping out, meeting a lot of people, learning, learning a lot from older people who have been part of the rainbow family for a long time. Um, learning about the values that keep people coming back. What would you say those values are? Um, Peace, equality, uh, environmentalism. Uh, There's, um, you know, I've heard some people say that it's kind of damaging to the National Forest for so many people to come out and live on one small space and, you know, there's no uh, plumbing, so there's... Thank you. 
This is the morning train on mutinyradio.fm in .sf. I am your sole driver, J.D. Buell. Thank you for being with me today. Thanks to all of you who tune in regularly. In that set, we went a few different places with a few different musicians. We started with Julius Hemphill and Abdul K. Wadud from their album Live in New York. That was recorded in 1976. Wadud on cello, Hempil on the alto saxophone. We heard Echo One Morning. From there, we followed Wadud to his trio work with uh, Anthony Davis on piano and James Newton on the flute. From their album, I've Known Rivers, we heard After You Said Yes. We then returned to the music of Julius Hemphill and there with the World Saxophone Quartet from what is regarded as one of their finest albums, WSQ, on the Black Saint label, and that was in 1981. We heard Pillars Latino, and at that time, Julius Hemphill leading the World Saxophone Quartet on alto and tenor, Hemiot Blewett baritone and alto clarinet, Oliver Lake, alto tenor soprano saxophones, and David Murray on tenor and bass clarinet. You heard all of them honking away on that selection. Due to the the, uh, great kindness of my friend Paula, I was able to attend the Patti Smith performance on New Year's Eve just a week or so ago. I don't know who that opening band was. Uh, a bunch of uh, a bunch of old hippies with a poorly dressed drummer, but they did indeed do this song.
everything comes down. So pasteurized, everything comes down. 16 degrees, you see, the amplifier is too loud. You turn your amplifier down, my high, all alone, my knees. Memories just hits that swing like a clock. The past projects fantastic saints. Tick tock, tick tock, tick tock. Fuck the clock! Patty Smith Group recorded live in Paris, October 21, 1976. 
That's the B-side of an Italian single for Ask the Angels. Before that, the 1965 recording made by Lenny Kay, longtime Patti Smith guitarist under the name Link Cromwell. And that was Crazy Like a Fox. And as he said from the stage at the Fillmore on New Year's Eve, he said, if that song had been a hit, what a different life I would have led. But we're all living this life, even without David Bowie. So what do you do when you get the blues? You ask Johnny Cash, and he says, get rhythm. Thank you. 
she's my best friend Cause I promised her I remember what I said I said, hey No. 
Beautiful, isn't it? That's why we have programs on the internet such as Morning Train, so I can bring you really cool stuff like that that would otherwise be forgotten. Did you guess to whom you were listening? That was Glenn Campbell and Bobby Gentry from the one album of duets they made under their own name and Let It Be Me. Before that, Ducks Deluxe with Please, Please, Please Call Me, Baby. Stephen Stills and Manassas, How Far, and we began with Johnny Cash.